So a quick heads up, um, in this episode I'm going to be talking about some scandals, and if you're listening with younger children, um, or, you know, in a setting that you'd rather not uh, hear about scandalous things, then you might want to save this episode for another time. Hello, and welcome again to Metamorphosis, the podcast of Trinity United Methodist Church in Piedmont, Missouri, where we share the love of Jesus to change people's lives. I'm Eric Sintel, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about some recent statistics that just came across my attention. Um, thanks to Paul Walker, a writer on Medium who writes about uh, the church and the Church of England, because he's you know, based in England. Um, but also Christianity and spirituality more uh, generally. Um, he shares some of his past experiences as a pastor, and uh, I think he offers a really val- valuable perspective, and he's got his thumb on the pulse of you know Christianity in the West quite well, and is often very um, well-informed on current events. And so I really appreciate Paul Walker and his writing, and in particular, this essay that he wrote titled, Latest SBC membership numbers show potentially catastrophic decline. And the subtitle is, The numbers are in and it isn't good news. Okay, so, according to official figures released by the Southern Baptist Convention itself, they had their largest annual uh, decline in membership in 2022. So, First, I want to talk a little bit about why I think it's worth talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, or SBC. It's the largest Protestant denomination in the United States by a long shot. Um, Even with the decline in members, they still have over 13 million members, which is several million more than your next largest uh, denomination in the United States. And... The SBC, because of its size and also its financial backing, um, has always punched way above its weight in terms of cultural influence. Um, That's especially true in the Christian subculture, but I would argue that the SBC has actually been very influential over American culture in general. So why is that? Well, the SBC owns Lifeway. You've probably heard of Lifeway. Um, All of their bookstores just recently closed in the last few years. That was actually even before COVID and the pandemic. Uh, So the the bookstores were maybe struggling for a little while, but for many years, Lifeway Books was the place where Christians would go to find the latest Beth Moore book or the latest Priscilla Shire study or um, the latest John MacArthur study or pick one you know if there is a a major christian author bible study book video series um not to mention clothing merchandise you know things like that lifeway was the place to go um and their website continues to operate and exist and and it continues to be the place to go for bible study curricula Um, as well as the recent, you know, most recent books published by Christians or in Christian publishing. So in that way, even if you were the member of a a different denomination, more than likely you were directly influenced by the SBC because the SBC uh, closely monitored and operated Lifeway books. Um, 
And they also operate Lifeway Research, which puts out a lot of information about the state of Christianity and the SBC in particular. Um, so I, I would argue that we, the, the Southern Baptist Convention is very influential of American culture in general. Um, so through its influence on Christians, they also influence the rest of culture because you have some really prominent people from Rick Warren, you know, publishing The Purpose Driven Life and selling literally 40 plus million copies um, to uh, Dave Ramsey and his cultural influence and, and him selling millions of books and millions of courses to uh, even, you know, people like Mike Huckabee, <laughs> you know, who's a confirmed, you know, SBC pastor or minister. And he is, um, you know, obviously very upfront and very um, leading with his faith in the realm of politics. And um, But even if you, I think, pay attention to the Republican Party as a whole, um, you know, they are very plugged into the Christian right, um, the moral majority, you know, Jerry Falwell Sr. and then Jr. Um, they are very much, you know, plugged into that uh, voice and that movement. And that voice and movement is heavily influenced, if not directly uh, coming from the SBC. So a little bit of history about the SBC. Um, the SBC formed um, after, or before the Civil War, rather. Why? Because uh, the Baptists in the South wanted to get away from the Baptists in the North who wanted to abolish slavery, right? So we have several different, not just Baptists, but other denominations in the pre-Civil War years in the United States splitting off from each other and forming different Southern-based denominations because of their differing stances on slavery. So the SBC arguably didn't have the greatest founding. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how much that affects where things currently stand with the SBC, but it's striking to me that the organization seems to have embedded in its DNA a, a sort of reactionary, very conservative, very, you know, maintain the status quo, don't change things kind of uh, attitude. And I think that is driving this decline in membership. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the rise of the SBC. Um, so following really the Civil War, um, all the way up until mid-2000s, the SBC was just steadily growing and expanding and getting larger and larger. Um, so, you know, if you, I have a chart here. This uh, was a chart from Ryan Burge, who is a sociologist who studies religion and he does a lot of statistical analysis and work. And I mean, he's appeared on 60 Minutes, you know, he's, he's legit. And in fact, uh, I interviewed him for this podcast about his book, The Rise, uh, about the nuns, the religiously unaffiliated, I believe it's called The Rise of the Nuns. So you might check out that conversation if you're interested. So Ryan Burge put together this, this graph showing the rise and then the decline of the SBC. So from 1950, when they had a little over 7 million members, to 2006, they rose from 7 million members to a little over 16 million members. Okay, so the post-World War II era was one of just continual steady growth in the Southern Baptist Convention. 
but <laughs> since 2006, they've lost in total 3 million members. Um, and half of that was just since 2018. So now we're seeing a increasing decline in the SBC. So why is this? Well, Paul Walker points out that part of it is just demographics. Um, you know, you have older members die out and there aren't enough younger members and families to replace them. Well, why aren't, why are there not more younger families and people to replace them? Well, I'm going to get into that. Uh, but first I want to acknowledge, I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic certainly couldn't have helped things because you had some lockdowns and once people get out of the habit of attending church, some of those people maybe don't come back to church. Now, I'm not sure that that can really be, uh, that can't really explain the full decline here. You know, they've lost um, half a million members in the past year alone. Okay, um, So in my own church, you know, we had some declining attendance um, after we returned from COVID lockdowns. But that's more or less bounced back. I mean, yes, I know there are a few people that never returned, um, but we've more or less bounced back. I don't think we can say half a million people just got out of the habit of church and stopped attending their SBC congregations. Okay, so what else could it be? Well, there's the um, recent sex abuse scandal that was uh, a huge deal for those paying attention. Um, the SBC was found to have covered up hundreds of sexual abuse cases by pastors, um, youth pastors, etc. They covered up hundreds and hundreds of those abuse cases and moved uh, people around from church to church uh, without reporting them to the police, allowing them to continue their, their abuse. And uh, that occurred over many years. So you can read about that online. If you, if you just Google SBC sex abuse scandal, you'll find a wealth of information from you know, the Houston Chronicles report that broke open the story to some of the SBC's own publications and, and uh, statements on it. They have commissioned some independent research uh, or independent uh, law firms to look into that scandal and investigate what happened, how it happened, what should be done to fix it. Um, they got into a little bit of further controversy with the way they handled that um, because you know they could have voted to uh, get rid of their uh, their privilege, their client attorney privilege, and allow that law firm to really make everything very public and transparent in an effort at repentance and they chose not to do that. Okay, so they're, you know, and on top of all of that, you know, there is the fact that individual women have, several individual women have really been vocal in trying to get the word out about what happened and how there needs to be more accountability uh, around it. And those individual women have been treated very poorly and hostily by some of the leaders in the SBC. Okay, so all of that's a big deal, and you can definitely see where that would drive a lot of people away from the church. Um, but I think that's only part of the story. I don't think that's the whole story of how they lost one and a half million members since 2018 
and half a million in just the last year. Um, I think a big part of the story is the way they approach the role of women in the church, in the home, and in society. So, you know, I bet, you know, if we did a poll that, you know, probably the majority of Christians might be, you know, might have heard something about this sex abuse scandal with, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention, but they probably wouldn't know a lot of the details um, and they might not have even heard of it. So say 10 people, this is very unscientific, I haven't done this, but if we had 10 people, we asked, you know, about the SBC sex scandal, you know, let's say maybe three of them have never heard of it. And like three of them, you know, sounds vaguely familiar and maybe four people are relatively familiar with it. Um, and that's probably being a little generous, okay? But I bet nine out of 10, eight out of 10 of those Christians that we ask would be familiar with the controversy with Beth Moore and the SBC because Beth Moore is a major influential figure. Um, she's part of that publishing industrial complex <laughs> that I was talking about earlier, where for decades, her books and her studies uh, directed toward women were one of the most prominent and best-selling products in Lifeway books. And tens of millions of women consumed Beth Moore's work and then were influenced by Beth Moore and then went out into the broader culture. You know, they influenced their churches, of course, and they influenced the broader culture as well. Um, and then in 2016, Beth Moore came out publicly opposed to Donald Trump. Beth Moore is a sex abuse survivor herself, and she could not conscience supporting Donald Trump for president based on Donald Trump's behavior, his comments toward women, his attitude towards women, as well as the credible allegations of sexual assault. And in fact, Donald Trump recently was convicted in civil court of sexually assaulting a woman and then defaming her by lying, saying she was a liar and, you know, just in, trying to get money and this and that. So Beth Moore takes this stance and then she gets quote-unquote canceled by the SBC, by Lifeway. So this is not new um, because if you are familiar with the SBC and Lifeway, um, you may know that Rob Bell's books got pulled off the shelves. Jen Hatmaker's books got pulled off the shelves. Why? Well, Rob Bell wrote this book, Love Wins, where he really resurrected, pun intended, this ancient Christian idea of universalism. You know, what if an all-loving God doesn't send everyone, send some people to hell or allow some people to go to hell? What if we all somehow or another end up in heaven? What if people, maybe, maybe people go through a process of reconciliation? You know, maybe there's some kind of form of purgatory. Maybe there's something like what C.S. Lewis describes in The Great Divorce, um, where hell is in a place of eternal conscious torment and fire, but it's just kind of a crappy place. <laughs> and people, you know, but angels come down and they try to persuade these people, you know, why don't you, you know, confess the sins that are keeping you here and holding you here? 
and repent of those and let's get rid of those and then come up here. And uh, in one case that does happen, in most cases it doesn't happen. And so there's this, you know, C.S. Lewis had this idea. Um, and this is an idea dating back to, you know, ancient Christians, the first couple hundred years of the church. Um, and Rob Bell writes a book about that. And Rob Bell was a rock star in Christianity. And then at the SBC and Lifeway, quote unquote, canceled him, said, nope, <laughs> that's not okay. That's not within the bounds of what we will allow. And then he, you know, was on the outs. Jen Hatmaker uh, changed her position on LGBTQ people and relationships. And all of a sudden, all of the books that Lifeway was happy to sell, they took off the shelves. Right? So we have, you know, a lot of people complain about cancel culture. Um, and often what they're really complaining about is just people on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok, like griping about someone. <laughs> um, and there aren't any real tangible consequences for the people, person or group being griped about other than just getting a lot of grief from other people on social media. In these cases, though, there was there were real financial consequences. Um, I actually read one report that there's an estimate that Beth Moore lost a couple million dollars in revenue for Beth Moore's uh, ministries after coming out against supporting Donald Trump for the Republican nomination for president. And the fact that, you know, that position could even be controversial in the way that it was is really telling. You know, the fact that the that so many people who identify as Christian in general or Southern Baptist in particular would view your political alignment or political preferences as a deal breaker in terms of your Christian ministry, your Christian books, your Christian speaking, that to me set, speaks volumes about political idolatry um, because it shows that for many people, they had equated your political positions and preferences with your faithfulness or lack thereof. Those are not the same thing, right? They're, they're just not. Um, and to equate them as such is to commit political idolatry. And it's to then position people like Beth Moore or David French or Russell Moore, no, no relation to Beth, um, these very conservative, very orthodox, committed Christians who are very public about their faith, you know, but they all refuse to support Donald Trump. And they were, they all have been to varying degrees really ostracized by their fellow Southern Baptists, their fellow conservative Christians. Um, that just speaks volumes to me. So Beth Moore is also controversial for another reason. She is a very public, very influential Bible teacher. And the SBC holds to this gender construct of complementarianism. This is a theme that I've talked about several times on this podcast, either in interviews with Beth Allison Barr. I feel like I reference that interview all the time, but it's so great. You got to listen to it if you haven't yet. Um, my interview with Kristen Coates Dumay, another 
terrific interview that I reference all the time because it's so amazing. You have to listen to it if you haven't yet. Um, but in a lot of my other conversations as well with other people I've interviewed, and even just in solo episodes like these, I, I find myself coming back to this idea of complementarianism. The idea of complementarianism is that according to the Bible, men have certain God-ordained roles and responsibilities. Women have different God-ordained roles and responsibilities. And complementarians will say that they neither set of roles are inherently better or more valuable than the other, but rather they are complementary. Uh, they reinforce each other. They mutually make each other uh, better and stronger than they would be on their own. And this is God's design. And it, so, you know, that what's wrong with that? Well, the, what's wrong with that is, uh, first and foremost, complementarians take that position and that framework and then say, if you're not adhering to these gender roles, then you are not following God's design. And that is sinful, isn't it? That is disobeying God, isn't it? And so you can use this framework to advocate why women shouldn't work outside the home, why women shouldn't question their husbands, why women shouldn't um, preach or lead a Bible study that includes men. It gets so ridiculous that even, you know, Beth Allison Barr, when she was in the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, she had to get special permission to teach a Sunday school class that included teenage boys. How ridiculous is that, right? That, you know, it, it just boggles the mind. And as Beth Allison Barr proves definitively in the making of biblical womanhood, this is, I, these gender roles are not biblical at all, but they're socially constructed. It's something that we as people over time made up. <laughs> and now we try to insist, or complementarians insist, that no, these are God-ordained and we have to follow these. Um, and it just doesn't make any sense. Even in the Bible itself, you have female leader after female leader. You know, you have um, Deborah prophesying and commanding armies of men you know, and there are, are just numerous other examples of women taking on leadership roles. And now complementarians will try to explain that way. Well, you know, that women take up leadership only when male leaders fail and God has no alternative. Okay, so in, you're saying women can be leaders then. Um, it just doesn't make any sense logically, biblically, or socially. And you can point to lots of historical evidence to show that uh, this is a social construct, that over time, patriarchal systems, patriarchal groups um, created these rigid, rigid gender roles and hierarchies. And now complementarians, such as the Southern Baptist Convention, are literally going out of their way to pick fights with 
Beth Moore, who's probably the most influential and beloved figure for female Christians in the United States, <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's a big statement, but I completely believe it. I, I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. Um, I can't think of any figure who has had a wider reach for a longer period of time among American women Christians than Beth Moore. And now Beth Moore's on Twitter. She's on Facebook. She's on Instagram. Her ministries are on those platforms. She's on social media. This is something Kristen Coates Dene pointed out in my conversation with her. Um, again, you got to listen to that interview if you haven't already. She pointed out that Beth Moore had been doing, making the kinds of statements she'd been making and doing the kind of ministering and work that she'd been doing for years, but then it became more public because of social media. Then the men in the SBC could see what she was doing. It had always been gender segregated before, right? I mean, I've read Beth Moore's uh, books and studies. I've watched her video studies. And you look at the audience, it's 100% women, uh, which is bizarre because a lot of her studies, most of her studies are not gender specific, right? I mean, she might make kind of references, you know, that kind of hint that, you know, we're, I'm, I'm writing to women or for women, but most of her studies are not, you know, something men cannot learn from or cannot get anything from. They're, they're not gender specific at all. And, and yet, because of this complementarian philosophy, um, you had this strict gender segregation and even, you know, who, uh, whom her materials were marketed to, and then also uh, who was in the rooms, you know, watching those video studies or participating in those Bible studies. So all these SBC men had no idea just how influential Beth Moore was becoming just how much she was teaching and preaching and leading until they start to see what she's posting on social media. And then she, you know, and her opposition to Trump made her even more um, on people's, put her on people's radars even more because uh, that was a big deal. That was big news. That was controversial. That was drawing a lot of attention and engagement online. Friends. So then the SBC kicks out essentially you know they didn't officially kick her out but they just you know hurt they made her life hell i mean they really did um several several influential sbc pastors just went out of their way to troll her online and call her out and attack her um john MacArthur, one of the most influential mega church pastors in the sbc literally told her to just go home you know because she's not um adhering to those strict gender norms of just, you know, domestic sphere, domestic um, work, and submitting to your husband. Um, she's actually, you know, doing God's work, ministering and preaching the word and the gospel. So um, I think that this general attitude that many people suddenly became aware of <laughs> is a big reason for this dramatic recent decline in the SBC membership, right? Going kind of circling back around, um, if we ask 10 Christians, you know, are you familiar with the SBC sex scandal? I bet, you know, a few of them would be familiar with it. 
a few of them would never have heard of it, and maybe one or two would be really familiar, really knowledgeable about it. But I bet most of those 10 Christians could tell you, oh yeah, the SBC got really upset with Beth Moore and she left the con left the denomination. Um, and probably the majority of those people who could tell you that could tell you why, you know, that they didn't think she should be preaching or even, you know, doing, you know, Bible studies because she's a woman. Well, that's not a very popular position in 2023. <laughs> okay, so um, whenever this as a group or an organization, you go out of your way to take a deeply unpopular stance and to hold to it in such a hostile, mean-spirited way. And trust me, you go through the public statements SBC pastors had made about Beth Moore and to Beth Moore, it's hostile, it's mean-spirited. Look at what some people are saying to and about Christian Codes Dumay and Beth Allison Barr and, you know, pick any influential Christian woman, um, it is hostile, it is mean-spirited. And so you go out of your way to do that to people who are deeply influential because and deeply uh, popular, hugely popular, and for good reason, because they produce really great work that's really meaningful and valuable to people, and they have very winsome personalities. I mean, Beth Moore is just like the sweetest, nicest person in the world. If you've ever heard her speak or uh, watched any of those video studies, and you can just sense the Holy Spirit upon her and the passion that she has for God. And so to pick a fight and to be hostile and mean to someone like that um, is, you know, that's just problematic, period, on an individual level. But then it becomes a problem for the organization. Because now you're branding your organization as this hostile, mean uh, reaction to a very popular, very uh, spirit-filled and passionate Christian woman. So time will tell what happens with the future of the SBC and the Southern Baptist Convention. But I have a feeling that it's going to continue to decline because I don't feel like you can unbrand that once you've made that branding clear. And too many women are just not having it, and, and God bless them. Uh, they're not having this idea of complementarianism, where, oh yeah, we have different roles, and they're God-ordained, and you know, they're both equal, and we're all equal. It just so happens that all the leadership uh, roles are for men, and all of the subservient relationships and, lead and roles are for women. It just happens that, you know, you can't even, you know, teach a Bible study to teenage boys. Um, you know, that's, women are not having that. They're seeing through it and good for them. Um, and they're leaving that, con those types of congregations and they're going to more egalitarian congregations or sadly, maybe they're leaving the church entirely. And I just hope that most of them, all of them are not losing their faith entirely. So what, what does this mean for us? You know, where do we go from here? What's, what's a way forward? Because uh, the careful listener will note <laughs> that the SBC is not the only congregation or denomination in the United States to be experiencing decline. Uh, this is a point Paul Walker notes that in Europe and in England in particular, um, 
Christianity has been steady, steadily declining. This is nothing new. This is a long-term trend. And a lot of people have noted that America seems to be following the same trend, but just several decades behind. So uh, society is increasingly secularizing. Um, it's increasingly pluralistic, you know, so we're not, Christians aren't the only game in town. You know, there are many different religious and ethnic groups in the United States. And some of the non-Christian religious groups are growing uh, by virtue of immigration by virtue of you know second, third, fourth generation immigrants um, or who are um, having kids, you know, and now they're, and so their congregations are growing. Um, and so there are a lot of demographic and cultural headwind, headwinds driving a steady decline across all denominations of Christianity in the United States. I think the reason why the SBC's decline grabs headlines is because it was so much so fast and because they have all of these self-imposed issues and problems that arguably are driving that. Um, but what does this mean? What can we take away from this that applies to all of us regardless of denomination? Well, I think for mainline Protestant denominations, but also for, you know, more Baptist denominations, we need to follow the greatest commandment. Jesus told us to love God and love others. He equated those two. Those are loving God by loving others. And it's just not loving to tell half of your congregation that they have very restricted um, roles to play in ministry in the church and society. Um, it's just not loving to play the, you know, to draw these boundaries and say who's in and who's out. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus dined with sinners and tax collectors. Je Jesus, you know, said, I came for the Jews, but if you really insist, I'll heal you too, Gentiles. Um, and I mean, he healed people before they did anything to try to deserve it. So I think that we need to focus more on Jesus. And we need to focus more on living out the example of Jesus and the commands of Jesus. I think for far, far too long, the Southern Baptist Convention has influenced Christianity as a whole in America to focus on the question, what is biblical? because they want to point to the Bible as the source of authority, um, because it says right here in black and white, um, as opposed to asking the question, what is loving? Because what is loving would lead us, I think, to very different policies, a flattening of hierarchy and a, a getting rid of rigid, rigid roles and responsibilities that can't be crossed. And that would, of course, threaten people who benefit from the hierarchy, who benefit from that power structure. And I know people would, might say, but wait a minute, you know, by, we're trying to save people's souls. That's the most loving thing we do. And what you're suggesting sounds a lot like just anything goes. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I mean, first of all, I would say, well, we're not God. So it's not truly ultimately up to us to save these people's souls. Um, I recently read some 
somewhere, you know, that it's weird to even say that we're trying to save souls because we're not God. You know, we can witness to people, we can disciple people, but God is who saves. Jesus is who saves, right? And so for us to, you know, act as though or speak as though our uh, activity is the dependent uh, or the driver of people's salvation, that their salvation depends on our activity, Uh, a little dicey there don't you think so we could i think we can quite rightly put that to the side um and then you know i'm also not saying anything goes uh because i think that we should draw lines when we're harming people and i think the question that what is biblical and then we go further and use that as a cudgel like well you can't work outside the home You can't preach, you can't lead a Bible study because it says in the Bible, and that's not biblical. That is not loving and that is harmful. Uh, So I'm not saying anything goes and and we should ask the question, what is loving? I'm saying we should ask what is loving because not everything goes. And I think if we focus more on Jesus and his commands and example and asking that question, what would be loving? And then following that as our guiding principle, um, you know, I think that if we do that, the church will flourish. And by loving, I don't mean just, you know, lovey-dovey emotions and, and feel good. I mean, what would promote people's flourishing? What would promote people's well-being? What would help people fall more and deeper in love with God? Because I think it would probably be empowering 50% of our congregation, um, giving them opportunities to do whatever ministry they want to do or feel called to do or enjoy doing versus telling them they can't do a whole list of things, whether they really want to or feel called to or not. Okay, so that's enough for me. Thank you very much as always for listening. Um, And please tell people about the podcast. Please rate and review. God bless.